this morning and to welcome you here as we have come together to worship and just a couple things James James told on me um, uh, last Sunday night at, uh, at First Baptist and then a little bit last night but a few Wednesday nights ago uh, but it's certainly very appropriate to the passage that we're going to look at later in the book of Acts. Paul has an opportunity to address the mob that uh, tried to kill him, would have killed him had the Roman commander not intervened with troops. And Paul takes advantage of that opportunity to address the mob. God created uh, an opportunity for Paul to address the mob and issue a call to repentance, a call to listen, to consider the truth, and to respond the truth with repentance and faith. And so Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 the prophet says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for this opportunity that we have to gather together to worship. We're thankful for our church. We're thankful for each one. And Lord, we're thankful for the body and that we can come together on Sunday morning at the beginning of a new week that you have given to us. And Lord, begin that week by coming aside, being still, and knowing that you are God and offering you our praise and our worship. Lord, as we come together, and we join our hearts together, our voices together, our hearts together to offer you our worship. And Lord, we're thankful that you speak to us through your word and that you call us to, uh, to, to repent and believe and to trust in you as our confidence and our, our help and our hope. And so Lord, we pray that your spirit this morning would come and help us, help us to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified, you would be exalted, and that we would be confronted with things that maybe we need to do battle with and put to death in our own life, sin in our own life that needs to be put away. And that we would also be comforted that because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, our sins that are like scarlet can be white as snow. Our sins, though they be red like crimson, can be made as wool. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be comforted by your word. And then, Lord, we also pray that we would be conformed to the image of your son, Christ Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Right, I'm going to invite you to take out your hymnal and turn with me to hymn number 24. Hymn number 20. Right, if you would, as we continue to worship, take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 21, we find ourselves today, Acts chapter 21. We have seen that Paul, following the advice of the elders of the church at Jerusalem, went to the temple in order to show the people that he was observing the law, that he was not preaching against the people, against the law, or against the temple. And uh, yet when he went there... Uh, the opponents, the Jews from Asia, stirred up the mob and a riot began. And those, the crowd, the mob, grabbed the whole of Paul, drug him out of the temple, shut the door to the temple, and began to beat him. And they most probably would have beaten him to death if the Roman commander did not hear of the, the tumult, the riot, the mob, and send the soldiers. And when the mob saw the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And uh, we looked last week at the, the tactics of the enemy. The enemy used deceit and disorder, lies and a riot and uh, confusion. And today we will answer the question, how do I answer my accusers? How can I meet the enemy? How can I meet those attacks? And in this text today, we see that Paul offers his defense. He offers his defense to his accusers, and so how can we answer those who accuse us? How can we meet the attacks 
of the devil. And so Acts chapter uh, 21, I'll begin reading in the 37th verse. Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? He replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And then there was a great silence. He spoke to them in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are, you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears witness, and all the council of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened, as I journeyed and came near, came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light. And were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise, go to Damascus, and there you will be told all the things which are appointed for you to do. We learn some important lessons about how to answer our accusers by the example of the Apostle Paul in this passage. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. And that under the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, Luke wrote an account of the events that took place in the temple that day. And Luke wrote an account of the defense that Paul offered to those who were about to beat him to death. And Lord, we thank you that you have preserved it for us. You have brought it through the centuries and the millennia. You've brought it to us. You've ensured that it was translated in a language that we can understand. So that we can learn. So that we can find you. That we can find life. And that we can also be instructed of how we ought now to live. Having been saved by your grace through faith in Jesus Christ how we ought to live in this sinful world and how we might answer those who come against us, coming really not against us, but against you, your truth, your word, and your Savior. Lord, help us as we seek to know how we might answer those who accuse us of wrongdoing. And it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week we saw the riot and, we, and as Paul is there in the temple offering the offering, the sacrifice for the men who had fulfilled their Nazarite vow, having gone on the council, the advice of the elders, and he had, he had uh, evaluated their counsel by his law, the, the, the purpose of God on his life, the call of God on his life as an apostle, uh, his conscience. Uh, it, all of the things that we talked about how he evaluated that advice and he saw that that advice was sound, it was consistent with his mission, it was consistent with God's call upon his life. He could do this without violating his conscience and it might just open the door for him to proclaim the gospel. And we'll see that it does give him an opportunity to speak 
speak the gospel to the mob and ultimately to the Roman, uh, well, to the Sanhedrin, to the Roman officials, and ultimately appeal his case to Caesar. But it probably didn't happen exactly the way that Paul thought it would when he was there in the temple. The, the, the Jews from Asia began to stir up the crowd. And we saw the technique of the enemy. They lied about him. This is that man. This is the one we've been telling you about. This is Paul. This is Paul who teaches all people everywhere against the Jewish people, the children of Abraham. This is the man who teaches all people everywhere against the law of God, telling people to disregard God's moral law. This is the man who preaches against this holy place, this temple. And those Jews from Asia, through those lies, through deceit, stirred up the crowd, stirred up the mob, and people ran from all over the place, some knowing why they were coming, some not knowing. It's just a riot, let's go. And they came, and through deceit and disorder, they grabbed Paul, they drug him out of the temple, they slammed the doors, and began to beat him. They had every intention of beating him to death. In their mind, he had committed a crime, Worthy of death, they had taken the law into their own hands and they were going to beat him until he was dead. And so you see the chaotic situation. You see the, the mob, the masses of people there just beating on Paul. And it gets the attention of the Roman commander and the Roman commander sends soldiers down to see why there is uh, a riot, a mob, uh, an outrage in the in the front of the temple and so he sends the soldiers there and when the people beating Paul to death see the soldiers they stop and the commander tries to figure out what's going on he tries to uh, discern uh, why they are beating Paul what he has done to be worthy deserving of death had he violated the law had he violated Roman law or was it just a religious law and he he tries to figure out what's going on who is this man what has he done why are they trying to kill him and the mob was just disorderly some were shouting one thing, some another. It was just a chaotic situation, a very dangerous situation. Paul had been already beaten, probably almost to death. He was beaten and battered. And now the Roman commander's trying to figure out what's going on. And he knows that he can't uh, get anything from the crowd as long as Paul is there. So he orders the battered and beaten apostle Paul to be put into chains and taken to the brig. And as the soldiers are trying to take him to the brig, they, they, the, the crowd is so still so disorderly that they have to carry Paul out. But in this situation, in, in this confusing, disorderly, violent, dangerous, wild environment, we see Paul answer his accusers. We see his self-control, we see his calmness, we see his courtesy as he answers his accusers. We see that in two ways in this particular text. First, he addresses the Roman commander, and then second, he gets the opportunity to address the mob. And I think in this text, there are some lessons for us as we have opportunities to address our accusers. When we come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, and we're born again to new life and indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings change, brings transformation to us. And we're told in the scripture that those who love the darkness hate the light. And so that transformation can, can, can draw hatred, the opposition of the enemy. When we come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, he, he, we're taught as disciples to do everything that he commanded and we are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. We are to testify to God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ and we are to, to testify to, to God's moral law that shows people that they are sinners in need of a savior and challenge the traditions and customs of the people where they are deceived into thinking that by their religious actions or their good deeds that they can be uh, accepted into the kingdom of God, that they can earn their way through their works. No, we apply the law to show them their sinfulness so they might see the need to repent and believe and put their trust in Jesus Christ. Well, those who are in darkness, they hate the light. Those who love their sin hate to have their sin exposed. Those who uh, are, are, are nailed to their traditions and their customs don't want to have those things threatened. 
They don't want to be challenged with the truth because Satan's uh, tactic is deceit and he fights severely against the truth. And so we can expect to be accused. We can expect to be hated. We can expect to be opposed. We can expect Satan to come against us with deceit and disorder. And so how do we answer? And we see that in this, in this text. We see in the, exa- the example of Paul, he has been beaten almost to death. He is now being carried by the soldiers to the brig in chains. And in this wild, chaotic, disorderly situation, Paul speaks to the Roman commander. Verse 37, as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? (laughs) Here, Here, this situation, Paul is being drugged to jail, and he asked the commander, can I, may, may I please speak to you? And, and I'm sure this was shocking to the commander. You know, he had seen a lot of people arrested. And if you watched uh, arrest on TV, and maybe you've seen some real live arrests, usually the people who are being arrested don't, don't bother to ask if they can speak. They're shouting. They're declaring their innocence. I haven't done anything wrong. Uh, I, I'm, I'm in the right. These wrong. And blame that guy. The officer is not doing the right thing. And, and, you, and you hear the, the, the dispute, and they just, they just shout, and they shout their innocence. They proclaim, and they are trying to shout over the crowd. And, and, and we just see the contrast. The crowd is shouting. Some people shouting one thing and another. And uh, there's confusion and disorder. And the, Paul is, the crowd is pressing around him. Paul has him to be c- carried. And, and he looks at the commander and says, may I speak to you? <laughs> and so you see the, the calmness, the self-control. You know, Paul gives courtesy to the commander and asks permission to speak. Instead of just shouting, voicing his defense, calling the people around him liars and rioters and criminals. In calmness and self-control, Paul asked permission, courtesy, respect, may I speak to you. And not only was the commander probably surprised that Paul asked permission to speak, but he asked permission to speak in Greek. And so the commander is surprised. Can you speak Greek? And the commander realizes that uh, he had a false understanding of who this man was. The commander thought that, that Paul was an Egyptian who had at one time, not too long ago, led a rebellion against the city. And uh, Jewish historian uh, Josephus wrote about this. There was a, an Egyptian terrorist, an Egyptian assassin, an, an Egyptian insurrectionist. And he gathered a mob of people. The historian says as many as 30,000. The text talks about 4,000 that escaped. And so this army led by this Egyptian terrorist comes to the hills outside of Jerusalem and is plotting against the temple and wants to lead a a revolt, a, a rebellion to go in and destroy the temple and kill the Jewish people. The commander thought this man who has been beaten to death by this Jewish mob must be that terrorist that assassin, that insurrectionist, he's come back. He's come back to, uh, to, to, to renew that rebellion. And the people have grabbed a hold of him. They're about to beat him to death. The commander had a mistaking idea about who, who Paul was. He thought he was this Egyptian terrorist who had brought an army of 30,000 men outside of Jerusalem. The soldiers came and dispersed him, and he escaped with 4,000 of his men into the wilderness. He thought that this man had come back. He, he thought Paul was that Egyptian, but when he heard, heard Paul speak Greek, he realized that this was a case of mistaken identity. This man was not, Paul was not who he thought he was. He is not this Jewish terror, this Egyptian terrorist. He is not this assassin. He is not this insurrectionist leading a, a rebellion. And so he, he, he says, uh, 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 you're not this Egyptian? And Paul said, no, I'm a Jew. From Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And so the commander would hear if he was from Tarsus, that was a city that if you were born there, you were born a Roman citizen. And that'll be important. We'll see that come to light later. But the commander hears he's from Tarsus. Therefore, he is a Roman citizen and he's 
ordered a Roman citizen to be put into chains without due process, without having a trial. He's got this mistaken identity. And so when Paul asked, he said, I implore you, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And so we see how Paul answered the commander. In the midst of a chaotic situation, Paul is calm. In the midst of an out-of-control crowd, Paul shows amazing self-control. Even though he has been wrongly ordered to be chained and carried to the brig, he is courteous, he is respectful, he is submissive to the Roman commander, he asks permission to speak to him, and he tells him, he, he, he fights the deceit of the enemy with the truth, but he speaks the truth respectfully and in order, and he counters the deceit with the truth, and he counters the disorder with a calm, orderly, submissive, courteous spirit. He does not shout his defense. He does not yell. He does not uh, show disrespect or insubordination. He submits himself to the commander and asks permission to speak. And so we see an example of how to answer our accusers as Paul addresses the commander with self-control, courtesy, and a spirit of calmness. He counters the truth, the, counters the lie, the deceit of the enemy with the truth. and tells him who he really is and the commander realizes Paul is a victim of his mistaken identity. Commander thought he was this Egyptian terrorist, but no, he is a Jew that was born in a city that gives him Roman citizenship, and he knows Greek, and uh, he has done nothing deserving of his imprisonment. And so Paul speaks to the commander, and then the second uh, example is we see how he addresses the mob. Now Paul gets an opportunity by God's providence to speak to this mob, to speak to this crowd. So the commander gives him permission. Paul stands on the stairs and motioned with his hands to the people. And there was a great silence. So he'd been given permission by the commander. Now he goes to the stairs where he can be seen by the people. He holds up his hand indicating to them that he wants to speak to them. And all of a sudden, the mob becomes quiet they want to hear what he has to say and so he begins to speak and then he speaks to them in Hebrew he spoke to the commander in Greek the language that he would understand and now he speaks to the Jews in Hebrew and when they hear him begin to speak in Hebrew they become even more silent more orderly to listen to what Paul has to say and uh you know, most of the Jews from Asia, they had been raised, raised uh, speaking Greek. But here Paul was able to converse very fluently in Hebrew. And so they are silent to listen to what he has to say. And we learn from Paul in this example some lessons that we can apply to ourselves as we seek to answer those who accuse us. We've seen his calmness, his self-control, his respect, his courtesy. And now as he addresses this mob, the first thing that we see that he does is he tries to reduce the distance between the mob and himself. He tries to convince the mob that he is one of them, that he's just like them. And he's been accused of talking against the people, against the law, against the temple. They've spoken lies against him. And he begins his speech by telling them, I am one of you. I am just like you. I've been falsely accused. I am one of you. Look, listen, look at his defeat. He said, and again in verse 22, chapter 22, verse 1, he begins, brethren and fathers. And so again, you see his courtesy, his respect. He does not address the rioters as terrorists, violent men. Uh, uh, he calls them brothers. You're my brothers. We are all children of Abraham. We are sons of Abraham. We are physical descendants of Abraham. 
We're from the same nation, the same people, the same father. I'm one of you. You are my brothers, my brethren. And he speaks to the council, the rulers. He calls them fathers. Recognizing their authority. Again, submissive to proper authority. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And so Paul is going to offer his defense, and he begins by, by trying to reduce it. He calls them his brothers. I'm one of you, a descendant of Abraham, just like you. And I'm submissive to the civil authority that God has put over us, fathers. I'm one of you, and then he goes on to say, I am indeed a Jew, verse 3. A child of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. I'm a Jew, just like you. The same ethnicity, brought up in the same religion. I'm, I'm a Jew, just like you. And I was born of Tarsus of Sicilia. And remember who started this riot? Jews in Asia. Those uh, who were Jewish uh, descent, but were raised outside of the Jewish nation. Raised in Asia, in the, in the Greek world, in the dispersion, as God's people were dispersed among the nations. Just like you who started this riot, I am a Jew and I was born in a Roman city. I was born in Tarsus of Sicilia. Just like you. I'm one of you. I've got the same life experience as you do. I was born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but even though I was born in that Roman city... I was brought up in this city. So I was born in this Roman city. I have Roman citizenship, learned the language Greek, uh, the, the Greek language. But I was brought up right here in Jerusalem, just like a lot of you. <laughs> the, the same city, the same hometown. I was, I was brought up in Jerusalem. And as a Jewish boy, I was taught the law of God at the feet of my mother and my father. As we sat at the table, as we walked along the road, I was instructed in the law of God as, as Moses has instructed in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You know, fathers talk about these things. This law that I give to you should be on your heart and you should talk about it with your children. I was raised a Jew. My daddy taught me the law of God. And when I was old enough, I went to synagogue school and was instructed in the, in the, in the law, the things of God, the Jewish history and traditions and customs and law. I was taught the law just like you. But not only that, not only was I taught the law at my daddy, my mommy and my daddy's feet and in synagogue school, but I, I, here in Jerusalem, sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the most well-respected rabbi of their day. The rabbi that they would respect and they would honor Paul says, not only did I hear the law at my father's feet, not only did I learn it in synagogue school like all of you, but I went to the biggest and best university in this city and sat at the feet of the most respected rabbi of our day. And I was instructed in the law, the strict interpretation of law, as a Pharisee at the feet of Gamaliel, that teacher that you honor and you respect, he taught me the law. And you know, when you think about it, Gamaliel actually had an important impact on Christianity because the Old Testament that Paul writes about in his letters, he learned at the feet of Gamaliel. And we have already met Gamaliel in our study through the book of Acts. It's over in, uh, in Acts chapter 5. You remember after uh, the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven and at the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, the church there, and they began to go to the temple and, and preach and teach in obedience to the command that they had received from Jesus. Jesus told them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem. And so when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what they did. They went to the temple and they would proclaim the name of Jesus. They would proclaim his resurrection. They would proclaim that God had made Jesus, whom they crucified, both Lord and Christ, and that Jesus is the only way to salvation. They cannot be saved through the observance of the law. They cannot be saved through their traditions and customs. They cannot be saved by their sacrifices and rituals. They can only be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. They would go to the temple and they would proclaim this gospel. And the ruling officials came and laid hands on them. First it was Peter and John... They laid hands on Peter and John. They arrested him, 
brought them before the Supreme Court and they told them, do not teach in that name in this city anymore. Do not teach or preach or even speak the name of Jesus. And Peter and John looked at the Supreme Court and said, you judge for yourself. Should we obey God or should we obey you? God has commanded us to teach and preach the name of Jesus. You're telling us not to. Who should we obey? We will obey God, not man. And they had no reason to charge them, so they let them go. And what did Peter and John do? They went and got the rest of the apostles. They went back to the temple and kept preaching. <laughs> they kept preaching the name of Jesus, and so they were, they were there preaching. And the temple police came and arrested all of the apostles and put them in jail. And while the apostles were in jail that night, an angel of the Lord came to them and uh, uh, opened the prison doors and commanded them, brought them out of the prison and commanded them, go to the temple and speak all the words of this life. So now it's not just Peter and John, it's all the apostles. They're in the, they're in the temple preaching and teaching the name of Jesus. Well, the Supreme Court convenes and they say, well, we've got these 12 prisoners over there in, uh, in jail. Uh, let's go bring them and we'll put them on trial. So they sent the officers to the jail and where were the apostles? They're not in jail. <laughs> they're not in prison. The angel of the Lord opened the door, took them out. They went back in the temple. And while they're trying to figure out where these guys are, somebody comes and says, hey, those 12 guys you locked up last night, they're in the temple and they're preaching about Jesus. <laughs> they're talking about uh, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So they send the, people, the, t the temple police. They go and arrest the, the 12 apostles, bring them before the Supreme Court, begin to question them. And they said, didn't we strictly command you not to teach in his name and you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and you intend to bring this man's blood on us you're accusing us of murdering an innocent man and we want you to be silent we want you to shut up stop teaching about Jesus and Acts 5 29 says Peter and the other apostles answered and said we ought to obey God rather than men the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging him on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when the Supreme Court heard that, they were outraged. They were furious. And they plotted to kill the 12 apostles. Supreme Court, and then Gamaliel, Paul's teacher, Paul's professor, the rabbi at whose feet Paul had sat. Gamaliel stands up, and he tells the apostles to be taken out of the room, and then he says to the Supreme Court, men of Israel, be careful. Take heed to yourselves what you intend to do to these men. And he talks about another rebellion that kind of died out. And then in verse 38 of chapter 5, he says, I say to you, keep away from this men, these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. If these 12 guys are just a, a making up a doctrine or making up a religion, it's going to die out. It's going it's to go away. And the best thing to do is just let it go away if it's of men. If it's of men, it will come to nothing. But, Gamaliel says, if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And so Gamaliel was so respected by the Supreme Court, the ruling council, that he counsels them, leave these guys alone. If it's of men, it's going to die out. If it's of God, you don't want to be fighting against God. Just let it play out. And all of the Supreme Court agreed with him. They honored him. They respected him. They heeded his counsel. And so they called the apostles in. They beat them and sent them out. And the apostles went away rejoicing uh, that they had been considered worthy to suffer with the Lord Jesus and for the Lord Jesus. But the point here is Gamaliel was honored and respected. The Supreme Court took his counsel, took his advice, did what he said. And Paul is now telling this mob, 
I sat under the feet of the most honored, the most respected teacher of the law that you have. And he was a Pharisee and taught the law from the, the very strict perspective. That's where I learned. I am one of you. I am a Jew. I was born in a Roman city, but I was raised in Jerusalem. I was taught the law from my infancy and even went to the university and, and learned the law from the most honored and respected professor of your day. And so he's trying to reduce the distance between him and his accusers. He's trying to show them, I'm one of you. I'm not preaching against the people. I'm a son of Abraham myself. I'm not preaching against the law. I was educated in the law and the proper use and proper interpretation of law at the feet of Gamaliel. You're honored and respected teacher. And he said, and I was zealous toward God as you are today. And so the first thing that we see is Paul tries to reduce that distance. He tries to help them see him as one of them. And you know, when the enemy comes against us with lies, one of the things that we can try to do is reduce the distance between ourselves and those who accuse us. Remember, Paul told us, we talked about last week, this mob is not the enemy. Satan is the enemy, and Satan is using this mob. He stirred them up with deceit and disorder, and, and they're a tool, they're an instrument in the hands of Satan. But they are not the enemy, they are potential converts. They are people that Paul loves and wants to see converted. People that he would say, I would wish my own self were cursed if these people would come to know the Lord. He sees them as his, as his people, and he tries to show them, I'm just like you. And, th and that's an important lesson for us. Sometimes, so often, and, and you know, when we come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, we're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings transformation, as we'll see, as we have seen, certainly in the life of Paul. Paul is not the same guy he used to be. He has been radically transformed. And that transformation is drawing the attacks of the enemy. They hate him, they hate his message, they hate his holy life, his, his, his lifestyle, his proper, his truthful interpretation and application of the law. And you know, when we are transformed by Jesus, we have a very great temptation to look down on other people. To see the transformation that's taking place in us that's a gift of God's grace through faith. But we're tempted to think, now that I've been transformed, I'm better than those other sinful people. And we, we're tempted to pride and arrogance. But we must always remember that ultimately, at the core, we're just like them. Sinners that don't deserve anything from God except His wrath and His judgment. We deserve His wrath, we deserve His judgment, and it's only by God's grace through faith that we've been saved and that we've come to know the truth. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We didn't do anything to earn it. We didn't discover the truth by our hard work and our study. No, it was revealed to us by God's Holy Spirit. We didn't do anything to earn it. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We, uh, any good thing about us is a gift of God's grace through faith. It's not anything that I did, anything that I earned, anything that I deserved. There's nothing about me. It's all about Jesus. And we remember at core, at the heart, we are just like them. Sinners that deserve God's Wrath that can only be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And so we must remember when we talk to our accusers at the heart, we're just like them. They're just like us. Sinners. Deserving God's wrath and the only hope is God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And anything good in me, any good work, any giftedness, anything that I do good is not because of me, not anything I've developed or earned or deserved, but it's God's grace. It's the gift of God's grace. And so I have nothing to boast about, nothing to be proud about, nothing to look to compare myself and find myself better than others. I'm just a sinner saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Those people who accuse me, who lie about me at root, I'm just like them, apart from God's grace. And so Paul wants to reduce that. I'm just like you. I'm Jew. Taught the law, brought up in the same city. He reduces that distance to lower the hostility. I'm one of you. I'm just like you. And we can 
learn from that lesson. And the other thing that Paul did is he attributes their attempted murder of him. They tried to kill him. They almost did. The Roman soldiers had showed up. They would have killed him. But notice to what he attributes their attempted murder of him. He attributes it to their zeal for God, not evil, murderous intent. Look what he says in, uh, in, in the end of verse 3. He says, just like you, I was zealous toward God as you are today. And so Paul does not say, you guys are a bunch of murdering, rioting thieves and, and murderous guys. You're evil. You're wicked. No, he attributes their violence to their zeal for God. You love God. You love his law. You love his temple. And you don't want anybody to blaspheme God, to uh, insult his, to do away with his law, or to defile his holy place. And so your attempted murder for me was not evil intent, but it's because of your zeal for God and for his holiness and his purity. And so Paul believes the best about these guys. Now some of them it may have been murder and violence, but, uh, but Paul, Paul interprets their violence as zeal for God. And so the lesson for us is, you know, do not necessarily call evil what can be attributed to zeal, but zeal that is based on a lack of knowledge. He, he believes the best. Love believes all things. He gives them the benefit of the doubt. You're trying to kill me. But the reason you're trying to kill me is because of your zeal for God. He said, I had a zeal for God just like you do today. And then he draws on his own experience. I'm just like you. I had a zeal for God. And I believed that this way was blasphemous. That Christianity was evil and wicked. And because I was zealous for God, what did Paul do? Paul says... I was zealous toward God as you are today, and I persecuted this way to death. And I bound and delivered into prison both men and women. And the high priest, the, the high priest standing right over there, he can bear witness to this. I received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there. To Jerusalem to be punished. So again, Paul's saying, I was just like you. I was zealous for God. And I did everything I could to try to destroy this same message that I'm preaching to you. I did everything I could to put this to death and to bind and arrest men and women who profess the name of Jesus, even traveling as far as Damascus. The chief priests in the Sanhedrin, they can give witness. They gave me letters to go and arrest these people and bring them back to Jerusalem that they might be punished. And Paul says, I did that because I was zealous for God, but I did not have a knowledge of the truth. And he attributes their violence the same way. He does not call them evil. He calls them zealous for God. You want to do what's right. You just don't know what right is. <laughs> and so you're zealous as misinformed based on the deceit of the enemy and the disorder of this crowd but it's all because of your sin so he does not attribute it to evil and that's a good counsel to us you know so often we want to just look at people who disagree with and call, call us evil but we need to not attribute to evil that which can be explained by a zeal that's based on lack of knowledge they just don't know better they just haven't learned the truth they want to do what's right for God they just don't know. And so what do we do? How do we beat the seed of the enemy? We tell them. <laughs> we, how do you defeat lies? You tell the truth. And you do it in a way that's calm, self-controlled, respectful, courteous, submissive, and giving the benefit of the doubt. You know, they, they might be evil, but Paul attributes it to their zeal based on a lack of knowledge. And so they just need to be taught. 
They need to be taught the truth. And then like Paul, take that zeal and now apply it to the truth. <laughs> and apply it to the, with the same zeal that he persecuted the church. Now he goes and he preaches the gospel where it's not known. And so, uh, so Paul does not attribute, does not call evil that which can be attributed to zeal based on a lack of knowledge. And so he wants to tell them the truth. And so Paul, calmly, with respect, and bringing order in an orderly way, attacks the disorder of the mob, of, the, of Satan, the evil one, the enemy, by bringing order and calmness and doing things decently in order. And he compacts his lies with the truth. Their problem is a lack of knowledge. They've been deceived. And so he, he's going to speak them the truth. And so Paul says, I'm just like you. And I had a zeal, and I persecuted this church. But the thing that makes me different is I've met Jesus. I met Jesus. Jesus called me to himself, and he begins his testimony. And so the thing that makes him different is his encounter with Jesus Christ. He's just like them. But Jesus has called Paul to himself and transformed him. But it's nothing that Paul did. It was a gift of God's grace. He was on the way to Damascus to arrest Christians, to bring them to Jerusalem so they could be punished. And we read about this in, uh, earlier in Acts. He's on his way to Damascus. A great light shines around him. He, finds, he falls to the ground, struck blind, and he hears a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And so Paul engages in pre-evangelism. Order, decently in order, calm self-control, reduces the distance between the mob and himself. But he only talks about himself to open the door to talk about Jesus. I'm just like you. The only thing that makes me different is my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not anything I did. It's not anything I've earned. It's not anything I deserve. But it was God's free gift. And that's a gift that's available to you too. And so he... he, he, he he gets to Jesus. <laughs> uh, he talked about himself just to create the environment where he could talk to them about Jesus. And he says, you know, that the Lord told him to go to Damascus and he would be told the things that were appointed for him to do. And we'll look at uh, that uh, next week, Lord willing. But here we want to focus on how do you address your accuser? We can expect opposition. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit brings transformation. A zeal for God based on truth. A zeal to see sinners turn from their sin and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. A, a zeal to make disciples and teach them to obey everything that the Lord has commanded. A zeal for them to turn from their sin and find new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that message is offensive to those who love their sin and are satisfied with their tradition and their religion. And they'll fight back. They'll be deceived by the enemy. It might be disorderly. But how do, we, how do we beat the attacks of the enemy? How do you beat a lie? With the truth. How do you beat disorder? Do things decently and in order. Calmness, self-control, gentleness, respect. You beat lies with truth. And you beat lies and disorder with truth spoken in love. And Paul said he was going to give his defense. And that brings to mind what Peter would say as he writes a letter to the church in 1 Peter chapter 3. He, he writes to them, sanctify God always in your heart. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone that asks for the reason of the hope that is within you. And do it with meekness and fear, gentleness and respect. How do you be alive with the truth? 
How do you beat disorder? You do things decently in disorder. Calm, self-control, humble, gentle, respect. The only thing different between me and those that I want to see converted is God's grace. God's work in my life. Nothing I did to earn it or deserve it. There's no reason for pride or arrogance, but humility and speak that truth in love. I'm just like you. A sinner deserving God's wrath. The only difference between me and you is I met Jesus and he brought transformation. And that same transformation is available to you by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this example of Paul and we just admire the self-control in, in the midst of this mob that's almost beat him to death. He's calm, he's respectful, he's courteous, he's gentle, he's humble, but he's also bold, speaking the truth, reducing the distance between him and them, earning a right to speak into their lives, not assuming the worst about them, but assuming the best, knowing they just need to hear the truth, to be set free from the enemy that has taken him, them captive to do his will. Lord, we pray that you grant us the grace. Your servant is not to quarrel, but to patiently and gently teach. Speak truth and love with the hope that you will grant them repentance and set them free from the enemy, the evil one who has taken them captive to do his will. Lord, help us to know how to answer those who accuse us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, I want to encourage you to take out your Bible and turn with me to 230. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.